Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Well, hi, everyone. Celia Strauss is here today to talk about a couple of her new children's books. Livy Little Honeybee is a children's book that celebrates the journey of a honeybee named Livy as she navigates the challenges of individuality and self-expression within the hive, highlighting the importance of courage, the roles of bees in pollination, and their contribution to the environment. Red Panda's journey to Sikkim follows two young red pandas and a pangolin as they embark on a perilous journey to safety, led by a wise saurus crane, teaching children and their parents about friendship, sacrifice, courage, and resilience. A portion of proceeds from the sales of her children's books are donated to organizations dedicated to conservation, education, and research. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Celia Strauss is an accomplished writer whose talents span television, film, and literature, earning her an Emmy nomination for the YouTube series Kids Speak Out in collaboration with the United Nations. She also created and wrote the Emmy award-winning Memorial Day concert that was broadcast nationally on PBS. Her versatility in storytelling has been recognized with numerous additional awards, highlighting her ability to engage audiences across various platforms. Strauss's literary contributions include a poetry trilogy for middle school girls, insightful works on military themes, and children's picture books, where she hopes to ignite a love for animal conservation and encourage them to learn about, appreciate, and protect our natural world. Celia resides in Washington, D.C., but travels frequently to see her two daughters and gorgeous grandchildren, who are the apple of her eye. You can learn more about Celia Strauss and her work at celiastrauss.com. Well, hi, Celia. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Well, thank you, Sherry. It's great to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you. Uh, Why don't you kick things off by telling us a little bit about Libby Little Honeybee? What's the story about? And then what inspired the story? Well, Libby Little Honeybee was inspired when I was out picking flowers in the garden with my three-year-old, whose name is Olivia, but she goes by Livy, and we were looking at honeybees, and she said, oh, Grandma, won't they sting me, you know, and and I said, no, no, they won't sting you if, if you let them alone. They'll go about their business of gathering nectar and pollen, and she was fascinated, and watching her and watching her watch the bees, <laughs> it occurred to me that maybe there was the germ of a story here. And the other thing that occurred to me was my story about Livy and actually other stories that I've written that are inspired by my grandchildren start with the idea of capturing the nature of that child. And for Livy, for Olivia, my three, at that time, three, she's now four, your old granddaughter. She's a real independent little girl that marches to her own drum. But at the same time, she's diligent and, you know, very creative. And so I thought, what if I combined the character of Livy and put her into the insect of 
a honeybee and called the whole story Livy Little Honeybee. So what I did was I tried to put together a story about a honeybee that is adorable and certainly likes to take honey and nectar from the flowers, but also loves nature, is not just determined to be a worker bee, has an individual independent streak, (laughs) and it gets her into trouble. (laughs) Yeah. I love the whole premise of the story, basing the stories after your grandchildren um, in, in Libby. She sounds delightful. I have a three-year-old granddaughter, so I can relate to her <laughs> in the story. Exactly, It's a wonderful age. And I love that, you know, she wants to be as colorful as the flowers that she sees. Why was this desire important to her story? In my stories, I strive to have parallel themes. One would be teaching the young reader or family member something about an endangered species, in this case, the honeybee. Mm -hmm. And secondly, developing a character trait that is a part of my grandchild and also because children are often so universal, a character trait in many children. And For Livy, that was the desire to stand out, to be a little different, to do what she has to do, but she often will wear a costume or she'll want to wear her party shoes to school or (laughs) she has a whole array of ways to make herself herself, Mm -hmm. which may be different from the children around her. And so for Livy, little honeybee, Livy's desire was to be different, to be herself, and her choice of being different was to be rainbow colored rather than the orange and black color of honeybees. (laughs) So for me, Livy's wanting to be a rainbow honeybee was symbolic or uh, epitomized my own granddaughter's desire to stand out in some way, wear a Disney princess costume or whatever. Yeah. So there's this theme of individuality, plus, like you mentioned, having critical things important to the survival of the hive to do. And so touch a little bit on the message that you hope children take away for being individual, for being different. Absolutely. I think it's very important for children, and this is the message in Livy Little Honeybee, to be confident and comfortable in being themselves. Mm -hmm. And for Livy, being herself meant taking joy in nature, dwelling perhaps too long on enjoying the color of a flower versus being like the other worker bees and just getting the job done, picking nectar and pollen and then going back to the hive. For Livy, it was taking joy in the nature and the colors around her. And that was part of her essence, herself. And it's so important, I believe, for growing up, if children are able at a young age, as young as three Mm -hmm. and four, Mm -hmm. to be themselves to build 
a strong inner self because goodness knows today our children are bombarded by so many different messages about conforming to different body images or what they wear, all sorts of things. And so the message of this book absolutely is Livy being true to herself against all odds. And she had a lot going against her. Number one, the worker bees tattled on her. (laughs) They went to the queen. And then she got called on the carpet. She had to go in front of the queen bee and uh, explain herself. Yeah. So the queen bee plays a crucial role in this story. What do you believe her decision teaches readers about authority and empathy? Well, that's a very good question, Sherry. And once Livy gets to the hive, we're dealing here with two different themes. One Mm -hmm. is the incredible illustration by the illustrator, Mira, uh, of the activity that takes place in the hive. You remember there's the little uh, hunt combs with the babies in them and with pacifiers and then where the worker bees are putting their honey. So one storyline of getting to the queen bee is what actually goes on in a beehive. Mm -hmm. And as most of us know, if we know anything about bees, is that they live in a hive and there's a queen bee and she is in charge. So when Livy has to go in front of the queen bee, she basically knows that this is authority. This could be a parental figure or certainly the authority for the bees Mm -hmm. and for young children, an adult. And she has to explain why she wants to be different, why she wants to be a rainbow honeybee instead of a black and orange bee. And she does. She explains it. And the queen bee has a decision to make as queen. Does she insist that Livy toe the line and stay black and orange and do her job? Or does she allow Livy the freedom and space to be herself? Mm -hmm. And what turns her decision to take Livy's position is the fact, and once again, this combines an adult decision about a child with a piece of knowledge about bees. The queen bee in a hive never leaves the hive. Her job is to lay eggs and populate the hive. And once she's in that hive, unless she's going to go start another hive, she does not go anywhere. Mm. And so what she understands about Livy's needs and what strikes a chord in her heart from what Livy says is that Livy wants to be a rainbow colored because she loves the colors of the flowers. This is part of her. She wants to be herself. And Livy says, if you let me do this, I will work hard. I will bring you my nectar and pollen as requested each day. So the queen bee strikes a bargain with Livy. She says, okay, I will make you a rainbow colored honeybee. And in return, uh, besides doing your job, I want you to come and tell me every day, report back and tell me what you see. Mm. 
So Livy becomes the queen bee's window on the world and leaves the hive as a rainbow-colored honeybee, happy in that she is herself. Yeah, yeah. What a beautiful story. I, I just love that so much. How did you balance the educational content about the bees and keep the narrative engaging? The thing about my books, one of the characteristics of the books that I write for children is that I write in poetry because I think poetry is fun for children. I think they like it. Mm -hmm. And it also adds an energy to the story that prose often doesn't add. So Mm -hmm. my balance between the message and the story, it took me a while to write lines that combine both the storyline and the message. But to me, as a writer, once I get in my head the character of the protagonist, Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, Livy, the main character, and I don't call them, I don't think of her as an insect or a bee, the character of Livy, once I have the characters down, then it's much easier for me to combine both the storyline and the message because that comes through, as with many stories, it comes through the character and what the character goes through, meeting challenges and overcoming them. To me, stories, a good story, uh, certainly a, a good story for a child, is meeting a challenge as a child and finding a way to overcome it and continue on a little stronger, a little more self-confident, a little more trusting in the rightness of things. And that is uh, a message in all of my books. Mm, Nice. So I want to add, too, that I am tremendously, as I know any children's author that you interview would agree, aided by the illustrator. And in the case of Livy Little Honeybee, Mira Hirabayashi was wonderful. Her illustrations tell the story as much as anything I could say. Oh, yeah, that's so important with the picture book. It, I don't want to say it brings the story to life, but it, it just adds another dimension. And the pictures often say what the words don't say. Absolutely. Most of my illustrators are actually students at RISD mm. and Rhode Island School of Design. And what I look for in an illustrator is someone who can capture the expression, the facial expressions of the main character. Because if that person is able to illustrate different emotions, as well as the environment that the character is going through, then they've got it. They nailed it. Well, she did a fabulous job. The colors are vibrant. They're adorable. She did a great job. Thank you. Yeah. 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 How much did you know about honeybees and pollination going into this? Or or was there quite a bit of research involved? What did that look like putting all the the facts together into your story? Well, you know, this isn't an in-depth National Geographic study on honeybees. Right. So I, I I went on the internet and researched some basic information about honeybees and got enough from the pictures and some YouTube videos and some websites about the life of bees that I had enough to write this story. And that's really the way I approach all my children's books. I do 
research on the animal or the insect that I'm writing about until I feel, and I know exactly when I feel I have enough. I don't want to overload the book. These are simple little children's books that are at the most 34 pages. Mm -hmm. So, and I want to save room for the story. I, so I research with the internet. It's so accessible in terms of research yeah. today that I had no problem finding what I had to um, learn. And then the other thing is that my books, I always contribute the royalties, at least my share of the royalties, to organizations, foundations that are dedicated to endangered species. And for Livy, the royalties go to the Pollinated Partnership, the Natural Resources Defense Council, and then I say generally, because there were several others, organizations that are dedicated to preserving uh, the health of pollinators and um, critical to food and ecosystems. And right now, there's a huge concern about the use of pesticides on plants mm -hmm. that actually impact not only honeybees, but another book that I have coming out about monarch butterflies. And they are a migratory species that is especially endangered because of uh, pesticide. Yeah, yeah. I think it's wonderful that you are donating proceeds to conservation groups. It's never too early to start learning about and taking care of our environment. Exactly. And actually, the next book that I've written, it, which is coming out the end of this month, Red Panda's Journey to Sikkim, is about two little pandas, brother and sister, and their friend, a pangolin, for those who don't know what a pangolin is, think of it as an anteater. Mm. And they live in the Himalayas and become friends. And both of those species, red pandas and pangolins, are endangered, very endangered species. In fact, the pangolin, P-A-N-G-O-L-I-N, is the most trafficked animal on the planet. Really? It is considered its scales... As I said, once again, think of a scaly anteater. Mm -hmm. Its scales are considered medicinal in Asian countries. And it's very slow and very shy. So it's easy prey yeah. to mankind. And in this story, which I dedicate to my two, almost three-year-old grandson, Connor, the two little pandas and the pangolin are uh, endangered by the onslaught of uh, mankind. They're, they're burning down the bamboo forests and trapping animals and turning their habitat into cultivated fields and towns. And so the pandas and the pangolin must flee to an animal sanctuary. Sikkim, S-I-K-K-I-M, mm -hmm. is an animal sanctuary in India. And they are taken on the journey to safety, to Sikkim, by another endangered species, <laughs> the Saurus crane, S-A-R-U-S crane, who comes and warns them that they must flee and then drops a trail of feathers uh, so that they can follow to the sanctuary. And this is Red Panda's journey to Sikkim? Sikkim. Uh -huh. Sikkim. Sikkim. Okay. 
So what inspired the Red Panda for your story and as it relates to your grandson? Ah, well, yeah. <laughs> the, in this case, it was the same, it was a different situation. But in the case of my grandson, Connor is the only little boy among five other little girls. So he, he's, oh, wow. he's either going to be king of the hill or he's got a real problem coming up <laughs> down the pike. But he is a joyful, friendly, fearless, and extremely outgoing, gregarious little boy. He's not a shy bone in his body. And the reason I used Connor as the prototype for Connor the Red Panda, one of the two Red Pandas, is because this little Red Panda is the same. He is happy. He loves to dance. He wants to meet new friends. He is up for adventure. He is not in the slightest bit shy of going on a journey. And this, by the way, is not like most red pandas. Red pandas in general, as with worker bees, tend to be very much the same in that they are nocturnal. They only come out at night. Mm. They stay hidden. They live high up in trees, except when they're foraging for bamboo shoots to eat at night. And so Connor is sort of an outlier, a one-off, uh, an individual, as Livy was. He is much more outgoing, as evidenced by in the beginning of the story, when he makes friends with a very shy, retiring pangolin. Mm, how fun. Now, you also mentioned the Saurus crane. The crane adds kind of like a guiding figure to the narrative. What was the significance yes. of this character's role in the journey for Connor and, and Mishti and their Mishti friend. Uh -huh. And their friend Pangolin. The, I think in this story, which is, I think, a little more complicated than Livy, mm -hmm. you have three children characters. The two red pandas and the pangolin are all written as young. And the Saurus crane is written as an adult. And the rescuer, the wiser of the characters... And the one and only character who can lead these three children to safety. Mm. And the Saurus Crane is a trusted adult. He is willing to sacrifice his feathers one by one as he leads them over the mountains to Sikkim until at the end he lands with a plunk because he's he has no more feathers. Aww. And the last part of the journey, he leads them by foot to Sikkim because he's, he's run out of feathers to leave as a trail. So what he represents is a caring, thoughtful, wise, and I guess most important, aware of the dangers that confront endangered species all over the world. Mm -hmm. These two little pandas and pangolin are examples of the dangers of habitat disappearance and, of course, predators, but in this case, particularly mankind. And so he leads them to safety. Mm -hmm. So I guess unlike in Living Little Honeybee, where the focus is more on the day-to-day -day activity of the bees and what goes on and is required to sustain hive life, 
Uh, Red Panda's journey to Sikkim seems to take a deeper dive into the threats faced by their species. Yeah. Right. It was a closer, more of a microscopic look for a story. I was literally into the flowers <laughs> while Red Panda pulls away a little bit from the endangered species issues. And there's one place in the book about the middle of the book where the forest crane flies down to where the two pandas and the pangolin are dancing by the light of the moon. And he says, you have much, much to fear. They're clearing trees for grazing land to feed their hungry cows. Your bamboo is disappearing, replaced by roads and towns. They're burning down the forests. Then they till the ground with plows. Sikkim's the safest place to flee before they hunt you down. So in on this page, the lines take a larger look at the dangers facing, in this case, panda bears and pangolins, but it could really is applicable to endangered species all over the world mm -hmm. with the approach of mankind and population growth and what is required to sustain human life. And animals sort of get the uh, short shift of that. Right, they do. So what do you hope is the takeaway from this story? Mm, that's a good question. I think this, the takeaway from this story is that children can find, must find, should be able to have a safe place that children deserve, I guess is the best word, children throughout the world but little children, in this case, mm -hmm. deserve a place where they can grow. And as I say in the book, dance by the light of the moon, mm -hmm. meaning that they can be joyful and feel safe. And that part of their job is to stay strong and find joy in the moment and make friends with others like themselves, or in the case of red panda and pangolin, an animal completely different. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is to stay open-minded, stay joyful, take joy in the moment. And at the same time, it is our job as adults and protectors of children to help them find safe places. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as with uh, Livy Little Honeybee, Red Panda's Journey to Sakim, you contribute a portion of your proceeds to I do. organizations. Yes. Can you share a little bit more about those organizations? Yes, I do. The royalties, my royalties and a portion of proceeds beyond that go to the Wildlife Alliance, the Pangolin Crisis Fund, the Red Panda Network, and the National Conservatory. And those are just a few of the organizations that are dedicated to preserving endangered species. Okay. Do you have information on your website for readers to access if they want to maybe dig a little deeper after reading about the honeybees and pandas and pangolins? Absolutely. CeliaStrauss.com not only has these two books, but offers the previous series I wrote about a little elephant, orphaned elephant, Bobo. And Iris, the ibis that lives on his head, uh -huh. and information about me and how to get the books, of course, which can always be ordered on Amazon mm -hmm. as well, and information about what's to come. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, how can your books 
contribute to a child's understanding of environmental issues and how do they fit into the larger conversation about children's literature and its role in shaping values? Well, I think we as children's book writers and certainly as parents and grandparents Mm -hmm. have a responsibility to teach children about their world, about their place in it, and about the value of life of all creatures from insects, bees, to adorable little pandas mm-hmm. and every and baby elephants and everything in between. So I think children's literature, whether it be something classic like Frog and Toad or Charlotte's Web, I think solid children's literature, and there's so many writers today that give that message. Mm-hmm. They are born with an innocence and a love that comes naturally And it's important for us to nurture that, to keep it alive, and to give them opportunity to mature themselves, their love of self, and their love of their world, so that they ultimately, as they grow older and become adults, can give back to their communities through however they wish. And by community, I mean their climate, their environment, animals, insects, living things, and of course, friends and family in ways that are positive. And so my books educate children to better appreciate the habits and characteristics of specific endangered species, and at the same time, show them how they can relate to that particular little animal character or insect character. Mm -hmm. So what about your two grandchildren specifically? How did they relate to their characters? (laughs) Well, Livy collects stuffed honeybees and has become surprisingly fearless when she goes out in the garden. She is not afraid of bees at all (laughs) and loves to have that book. She's just learning to read. So she's not able to read the whole book to herself, although I must say Livy has most of it at four and a half memorized. Yeah, Connor really hasn't experienced the book yet because it's not out until the end of the month in hard copy and sending his mommy, my daughter, Emily, digital just doesn't do it for a two and a half year. Right, right. They need to have the book in front of them and be able to turn the pages as someone reads it. So, but they love the idea of having books that have characters named for them. And I think that it will be a, in my humble opinion, I hope it'll be a legacy that they will treasure and maybe even replicate in some way. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I'll I'll bet they just love it. Yeah. (laughs) So what's next for you? How many more grandchildren do you have? And how many more books can we expect? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I have five grandchildren now. And one, Connor and Livy are having a little sister in a couple months. Oh, wow. So that will be six grandchildren, five girls and one boy. And they're all adorable. They're all six under six. So I spend most of my time on the floor. And then um, my biggest concern is getting up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) As uh, any grandparent of certain age can testify to, 
And there are two more books. One is actually completed and being illustrated is Sophie the Monarch Butterfly, Mission to Mexico. And this is the story of a monarch butterfly, Sophie, who leads the migration, the annual migration of monarchs from North America to Mexico, where they do, in fact, go migrate every year to spend the winter. And Sophie is named after my oldest grandchild, Sophie, who just turned six. Okay. So that book will come out, I think, summer of this year. Oh, okay. Wow. And then the one I'm working on that I'm writing is about a wolf pup in Yellowstone Park. Oh, wow. And uh, the survival of this little pup under the challenges of hunters and other prey. Mm. So we'll see where that goes. I'm I'm working on that now. Yeah. But I love the idea of setting a, a story in Yellowstone. Yeah. Wow. So you are busy. You're going to be busy for a while. Uh, I am. Wonderful news. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add today? I think the important thing is for children to continue to be read to and to love books, and particularly books about their world and books that foster in them a strong sense of self. In this day and age, with all of the screen time, you know, don't get me started on mm-hmm. <laughs> on the screen time, whether it's iPhones or, or little iPads or TV, whatever. To me, that is so important to foster a love of reading and books and in the process, a love of themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, Celia, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. It's been a pleasure learning more about you and your work. Thank you, Sherry. It has truly been a pleasure from my heart. I've so enjoyed your interest and the opportunity to share with you and your listeners the kind of work that I do. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Celia Strauss, author of Livy Little Honeybee and Red Panda's Journey to Sikkim. You can learn more about Celia Strauss and her work at celiastrauss.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.